Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Need to be reminded that the enemy is being defeated. Oh, y'all don't know when to shout. See, if I was, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a good thing um, to know that, um, like the old church say, trouble don't last always. It's also good to know that um, you have help in your battle, um, and, but you have to actively be a part of the battle. Because many of us just think belief alone is the battle. Um, belief in God strengthening you to pick up the weapon. I love, one thing I love about 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, the weapons of warfare in our right and our left hand. And it exegetically means that we have defensive weapons and offensive weapons. And so um, I don't know what you're fighting and I don't know what you're in, but I'm praying that you would get up and begin to commit yourself to fighting and not allow your life to passively happen to you, but you get up and know that God has given you strength to fight. Somebody say fight. Fight. Amen, amen, amen. Welcome again to Epiphany Fellowships for a Sunday morning gathering. Excited about a lot of things going on, excited about um, Discover Epiphany today. If you are interested in Epiphany Fellowship, um, in the pastor's lounge after each gathering, we will be in there, representatives from my eldership will be in our pastoral team be able to talk to you and introduce you to different parts of Epiphany and just open up the floor for questions if you have any questions. This week is the Diamond Festival. We are so excited um, about this as an opportunity to serve our community. One of the things that we want to do is we want to have a ministry of presence. Somebody say presence. I think that's very important for us to have a ministry of presence in our community where our community can see that we don't just come in a building and leave a building, but we, um, we are willing to be a part of and lovingly engage our neighborhood in both um, uh, hand, heart, head, and feet. And so this week, we're going to have a great time. We need 3K more. It's a few more things that we need to get done um, this week that we, um, and I want to thank everyone so far for giving $27,000 to this event. I want to thank you for giving. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your investment. Now we need 3,000 more um, to, to, to set it off the way we'd like to set it off. And um, it's some things that we didn't think we was going to be able to do. And Disha worked some budget stuff out. She said if we could get these things here, this would, this would take it over the top in our ability to just serve our community. And so um, let's do that there. Just a quick, 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 quick micro update on our facility. We want you to keep on um, praying about our building acquisition process. Those of you who know, um, who are in the know, particularly our covenant community members, um, is that we're not trying to move from uh, 17th and Diamond, but we're trying to expand um, because uh, we're at three services. We technically need to go to four because the second service is at capacity and usually standing room only. And so uh, usually you should go to another gathering, but we're not going to do that. Uh, and so we need more facility, not just for Sunday mornings, but for long-term use. And so we have a loan offer that would allow us to purchase the other building. But um, they're asking us to sell this one. Now I'm like, that's probably not going to happen. 
Um, and so, um, and we're praying, but and we'll be talking to you about it, but the issue is if we sell this building, we wouldn't really need a loan um, because we'd be able to pay for that building, get it done and everything. And so keep that lifted up in prayer as we're um, moving forward and trying to pray about what are the mechanisms for us to uh, buy those facilities, expand, buy that block, and be able to do a lot of our outreach and city ministry that we want to see done to families, um, to singles, to youth and health um, initiatives and educational initiatives, all the different things that we want to do. But we also want to grow spiritually, but we don't want to cap our numerical growth either. Amen? Amen. Y'all y'all, heard me, right? Okay, I'm, I'm just asking. So keep that lifted up in prayer. As we dig in, uh, Camp Hope started off to a good start this week. We want to thank all our staff with Camp Hope running for eight weeks. And um, it's, going to, it's going to be a great, 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 great summer. Stand to your feet in this AC with 101 degrees outside. <laughs> amen, 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 amen. You know we're doing a few um, one-offs. This week, next week, I'll be on sabbatical after that till I'll be back in September. So we're doing a couple of one-offs. We're gonna do one-off this week, one-off next week, and then um, next few series are gonna be. I want you to be really praying for these series because they're gonna be um, series that I think that's necessary for us. Next series between the two um, is gonna be con uh, um, conquerors series about you as a believer learning how to function as a conqueror. It's one thing to say we're more than conquerors, but the question is, how do you function as a conqueror? And then also we'll be doing um, spiritual warfare. So keep those lifted up so that we can really, really dig into uh, what it means to practice our faith as a community and uh, in the world. Let's go on to Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. Revelation 1, 9 through 20. One, two, three, read.
Amen, amen, amen. Um, for our time that we have together, I would like to talk briefly about why I love being a Christian. Why I love being a Christian. Amen. Father, um, so many memories of what you've done in my life, and I'm pretty sure so many of us can. We're forever grateful, God, and we pray that you would be with us today as we reminisce and even be introspective and even look forward to your work in our life. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Why I love being a Christian. <laughs> I remember, I remember um, um, as we, my family began to grow a few years ago and my oldest son's legs um, started extending out further, if you will. And my wife and I being crazy enough to have two toddlers in one year, 10 months apart, Swahili twins and Amen. Irish twins don't quite fit me. So, not, 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 no down to my Irish brother right here. We family. Um, and I had, to, I had to buy a new vehicle. I don't know what they did. I mean, car seats didn't used to be as big as they are now. They're like tanks now. And so, you can barely sit in the car and, and everything. And, and you know, the stroller is just, for a double stroller, Anybody that's ever seen the size of a double stroller in anything, you, you, a double stroller, you got, you got to have some situational uh, background in the car to be able to put the stroller in. So it was clear to me, I hate car notes, like literally despise them because I feel like it just interrupts stuff. Mortgage is necessary, car notes are necessary, I guess. So we ended up having to buy another car and I ended up buying this, you know, this truck or whatever and I, you know, it, it's been a, you, it's, you know, it was, it's been like 20 upgrades since I bought a car. So when I got in this thing, I really wasn't used to all the stuff it did. I mean, I'd be on the road, it'd say, hi, we, I'd be like, what in the world is happening right now? You know, uh, you know, I'm thinking, you know, is AI intelligence take over? I don't know if the CIA done hacked my car, I mean, you know, so, and then it tells you when the, Gas is low, and it tells you when the, you need to you know, go to get your oil changed, and then it tells you, the OnStar things tells you that if you don't have it, because I don't feel like I need to pay for it, because I got AAA and other cheaper ways to pay for it, but I was like, it'll tell you, hey, you can do, and I'm like, why is this car doing so many things to me? And I, I, asked, the, I asked the dealership, why is this car, can you turn off some of this? Like, I don't like all of this. You know, I'm used to just a cassette or a CD player. You understand what I'm saying? You know, you know, so maybe some leather seats, you know, AC heat, I'm good. You know, I'm simple. And, um, and he, said, he said, well, sir, he said, the reason why the car is talking to you is because now your car is plugged into every, you, you, we have a computer inside of it that's plugged into everything. And it's plugged into everything in order to be a safety hazard for you. And the reason why it's plugged into so many things so that it, you, can, you, you, can, you can get in front of some things that might happen to you. 
Now, not only get in front of some things that might happen to you, but see a status updates on things so that if something is going to break down because you're already plugged into it, you don't have to get on the bad side of things to know you need to do something about it. You're already in front of it so that you can see what needs to happen in order that you can take the truck in and bring it to us, the manufacturers, to get the catch up and the, and the set up things on it that it needs to happen. The Christian life is the same way. When you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and he comes into your life, he wants to plug into every area of your life. And you have to submit to him plugging into every area of your life because he likes to get you on the front end of stuff versus when you done gone too far and when you done acted a fool and when you done gone out to the point of no return. Jesus Christ in being plugged into him. That's why he says, my father is the gardener and I am the vine dresser. Uh, and he begins to talk about abiding in him and the beautiful nature of connection to him and the benefits of him pumping nutrients into every area of our life. So we come to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to do the seven churches in the fall, and I'm excited about that, and it's kind of a precursor to it because this is, I like the way uh, um, John says it in verses 1 through 3. Many people come in here, and they come away with uh, historic premillennialism, amillennialism, mid-trip, pre-trip, post-trip, a mid-wrath, pre-wrath, and all of these different philosophical constructs to try to lay out how they believe the end times are going to take place. But I like verses 1 through 3 tells you what Revelation is about. It's not about being premillennial. It's not about being amillennial. It's not about being pre-trip, rapture, post-trip, rapture. Mid it's about Jesus. The text says the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you come away with revelation with helicopters, uh, you know, you know, with, with, with you know, um, locusts being helicopters from Russia and Rome and Babylon and all of that, you're missing the point of revelation because the point of revelation is to reveal Jesus. And the way Jesus reveals himself is he start off with one of his youngest disciples, John. And what he begins to do is he begins to, uh, John is on the Isle of Patmos, he's in exile, we'll come back to that. And he's in exile and some believe he was blind and God began to real, Jesus Christ began to reveal himself to John. And as John is getting uh, these things revealed to him, he gives him a message that he wants them, him to give to the seven churches which we'll see later is representative of all churches, not time periods of the church, but representative of different things that different churches over different times will deal with. And as he begins to do this, I began to leap in my soul because as I began to hear about John and some of the things that he was saying about his relationship to the body. When I began um, looking at some of the things that Jesus is saying about himself to explain who he is, I couldn't help but saying I love being a Christian. Now the, now, the thing about this reality is, is some of the things that made me say I love being a Christian in the text is going to confuse you. Because I think some of us like Christianity for reasons that have nothing to do with Christianity. But when you study and you dive into biblical Christianity and God begins to grow you and change your taste buds... When you, begin to, when you begin to love what God loves, and, 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 and this is a fight to see things his direction, because I'm not saying I see this perfectly, but this stirred my heart up in loving being a Christian. So first point, I got two points for y'all for my point, people. <laughs> why I love being a Christian. Number one, why I love being a Christian, 
because we have a common bond. Because we have a common bond. Look at what the text says. He says, I, John, your brother and partner. I like that. I like that he calls himself their brother and their partner. It would seem that someone, I don't know about you, but if I walked with Jesus for three years and, you know, I seen him do the miracles and I, I, I was, you know, I, I experienced the resurrected Jesus, I would kind of put myself a little bit in a different category than other Christians. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, he probably been walking with Jesus like 70 years at this point because he was, it's believed that he was a teenager. So it's been a minute. It's like 92 AD, right? So he's an OG for real, a triple, triple, triple OG by this time, right? So John is in here and he is, uh, he's talking about partnership and he's talked to these people. When you look at the lives of the people that he's going to talk to and some of the challenges that they deal with, you will be wondering why in the world you would call them brothers. But he says, I'm not only your brother, but you're, I'm your partner. In other words, the word partner here is, is a term of equality that you get saved the same way I get saved. And not only do you get saved the same way I get saved, as a matter of fact, we're linked together because no matter what people think of me individually, being a Christian is not about my individualistic identity as a believer. In other words, my living as a Christian to the people around me doesn't change the brand of Christianity. Christianity is not made up of individuals. It's made up of a community of individuals. And I like this partnership because he's, even though he's writing the last book of the Bible, do you know like how many of us, if we were writing the last book of the Bible to close the canon, what kind of arrogance? You want, you want, I, don't, I couldn't handle it. I, you wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want nobody. I, I just, I don't know, man. He closed in the book, but you'll see why his disposition is so beautiful. Because he says, you are, <laughs> we are brothers and sisters, and we're also mutual partners in Christ. What he says here is beautiful. He says, what are you, we partners in? <laughs> now, 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 y'all, now I don't know if I hear too much of this as a way when people get together, they want to glory in what they have in common. Now, I don't know if you, you ever met somebody, you have something in common with them. You're like, oh man, we got so much in common. And you like them because of what you have in common that's nice stuff. Or you come from some stuff you've gotten over. But these, to me, these are three weird things that you would be excited to join in with other people to say we have in common and these commonalities actually state that we're actually Christians. Okay. He says we're partners in affliction. The kingdom and endurance. I just want you to think about that for a second. We're partners in suffering. Have you ever heard Christians celebrate identifying with Christ because of suffering? See, back then, they took suffering a whole lot differently. Um, suffering to them was a badge of honor. To me, it, I, I mean, sometimes I, I'm, I'm like, Lord, I don't know if I would measure up because some of the ways that they talk about suffering blows my mind. I mean, when you hear about this same Apostle John Mark going into northern Egypt after he, Paul, and Barnabas split, he went down into Egypt, walked to Egypt. 
I thought y'all would understand that. He walked to Egypt. Matter of fact, he, he went back to his hometown, Cyrenian Libya, Cyrene, Libya, preached the gospel and planted churches, went to northern Nubia. This was their teacher in seminary, planted churches, went to Alexandria, Egypt, and started the church of Alexandria, Egypt that lasted 10,000 years. Anyway, ain't nobody going to talk back. And then, because the Roman Empire had taken over northern Egypt, they snatched him up. This is at the end of his life, after his exile on Patmos. And they dragged him to, through the city on a chariot, put him in prison, and he prayed while he was in prison. I got the, the original documents of him praying. He says, Lord, I am unworthy to suffer, but I thank you, Lord, that you have made me worthy to suffer for your namesake. Stop right there. Who thinks like that? Who, who sees what they go through as a way of identifying with Christ's death? Now, he, they didn't see them identifying with Christ's death through their suffering as meritorious. They saw it as a work of God sanctifying them and their suffering as a benchmark of bringing attention to how they suffer in a way that looks to God and doesn't condemn their enemies and draws them. They believe that their suffering was evangelism. There ain't going to be no amens on this part. <laughs> they, they believe that their suffering was an opportunity to be a trophy of God's grace to show that even though you're doing things to me, I'm not going to treat you according to how you treated me. And when you see that, you're going to be confused as to why I'm not cursing you out, why I'm not trying to kill you, why I'm not calling fire down from heaven. You're going to wonder how in the world can this person who I'm persecuting have this crazy disposition towards me uh, even though I'm treating them badly. How many of us? See, many of us can't even... Can't even handle getting cussed out. Some of us think we suffering for Jesus if we got if we got if we sneak if we got seasonal allergies. <laughs> That's not suffering. In other words, common affliction flows from this family that you so identify with Jesus that you don't care what other people think. Mm. Let me let me say that again. Mm. One of the things my concern for this generation is you care too much what people think. I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but many of us want to be liked because we don't want to be identified with Western evangelicalism. The Bible never said identify with Western evangelicalism. It said identify with Christ. So therefore, there are times in your walk with your friends where you are going to have to actually be a Christian. Listen, I have people in my life and, and around me and who I've gone to school with who I love dearly and I'm not beating anybody up who are LGBTQ. And it got quiet on this part. Listen, I love them. I'm gonna have coffee with them. But at some point, I'm not gonna talk to them about their lifestyle, I'm gonna talk to them about Jesus. Yeah. Now see, some of y'all think I'm selling out. <laughs> but you don't try to get people to un-lifestyle themselves with lifestyle evangelism. 
The gospel changes them, not your classical conditioning. <clears throat> and my goal ain't to get them married as an alternative to their sexual preference. My goal is to see them know Jesus Christ the Savior. Now, what does this have to do with affliction? Everything, because many of you all like friendship better than you like your father. And many of you are afraid because this generation prides itself on acceptance with no prophetic voice. Only time you have a prophetic voice is if your fallen friends agree with what you're arguing with culture about, which makes you not a prophet. Because basically you're just agreeing with everybody. See, a prophet has the ability to hear from God, stand slam in the center of culture, and love people but tell them the truth at the same time. And guess what? <laughs> Sometimes you're going to get stoned. And if you're a slave to your loneliness, you'll never be a prophet. Because if you, if you get to the point where you, well, I'm, I may not have this person, and we, and I may not, yes, sometimes, like the old song said, you're going to have to walk alone. <laughs> but what I like about this, though, you won't walk alone if everybody functions as a biblical Christian. This is good. Because if all of us function as a biblical Christian, what will happen is, is all of us at points in times when our lives rub against culture, guess what will happen? we will all get afflicted and persecuted. And guess what we get to do? Come to the table and talk about our commonality of what it means to stand for Jesus Christ. One of the things that I like um, about the early church is they kept taking them to the, to the Roman arena. They just kept taking them there, taking them to the Roman arena, <laughs> just kept feeding them to the lions. Denounce Jesus Christ. They would stand in the middle of the arena. They say, denounce Jesus Christ. Or we're going to sick the lions on you. Lions growling all in the cage. And Christians would stand there and they would say, I confess that Jesus is Lord. And then they would let the lions out. And everybody would hooray because they hated Christians. So over and over and over again, they kept doing this. Then after a while, they got confused. Because you know, with shock, it loses its value after a while. And so after a while, Christians kept getting persecuted killed by lions to the point where they were like, enough of these people have come through here getting killed. I want to know why they see those lions and they're willing to get tore up for this Christ and they keep coming in here knowing exactly what's going to happen to them when the person before them saw exactly what happened to them. So why in the world would they do this and evangelism spread throughout the Roman Empire, not through, not through all of this fly stuff that we use as a church, cool pastors and cool churches and light shows and, 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 and coffee bars in the lobby. That, listen, all of this cool stuff wasn't a part of the cool paradigm in the early church. It wasn't cool to be a Christian. And guess what? Now it's not either. So will you still identify with Christ even though it's not cool right now, y'all? Mm, I got to go to the next one. We can be all day on that one. But he said we're partners in affliction. But not only are we partners in affliction, we're partners in the kingdom. This, this, is, this is powerful. Now you got to know that the church isn't the kingdom, but it's a part of the kingdom. 
You also have to know that the church is the, procur- uh, is the, is, is the curator of kingdom ministry in the world. <laughs> so when we talk about kingdom, one of the things you'll see in Matthew is Matthew, the book of Matthew is the kingdom book. And that book talks a lot of, because what Matthew's trying to do is Matthew wants to um, present Jesus Christ as the messianic king of Israel and ultimately the universe. And so you'll hear Jesus talk about the kingdom is like, the kingdom is like, the kingdom is like, as a way to give you similes and metaphors about what the kingdom is like without giving it a stringent static definition. And one of the things, several things that I see in his kingdom philosophy, number one, I see the kingdom involves micro and macro breakthroughs. I'm gonna come through that in a second. Not only that, it has to do with the already the kingdom has come, but it's not yet here yet. In other words, we, we are living as agents of the kingdom, but the fullness of the kingdom isn't coming yet. In other words, hasn't come yet. So that means all of the blessings on the kingdom aren't going to come. So we're living to live again. Kingdom. But not only that, kingdom is God's comprehensive rule over all creation. That means no matter what sector of society you go to, ultimately God rules it. Hear me today. When you know as an agent of the kingdom that where you go, God has the ability to control it, it changes everything. And, 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 and it changes your disposition towards life. But not only that, the kingdom isn't merely God's rule, but it's also the rule in our thinking. So kingdom isn't a place. God's kingdom isn't a place, it's a way of thinking. That's why Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because the kingdom is a way of thinking, not merely a place. But also, this one when the rubber meets the road, doing things that lack self and tribal ecclesiological benefit. <laughs> See, the kingdom is doing things that don't always benefit you. See, being kingdom-minded is lacking the me disposition in life that says that I do everything in my life for somebody to do something for me in return. In other words, in other words, it's not about building your personal brand, it's about building the kingdoms. So that means the, king, uh, the kingdom citizen understands that they're, they're generous in everything in their life knowing that some stuff may not come to me now. <laughs> some, of the, some of the sacrifices, help me today, God, that some of you are going to make. See, that's why we need sacrifice in our generation. Because sacrifice is the disposition to, alter, to stop thinking about how does it benefit me? How does it take care of me and mine? No, the kingdom says, God, I sense in my soul that I'm supposed to do this. You've confirmed it in your word. You've confirmed it with the body. I don't know why I'm making these moves. But you're driving me. I mean, this is against everything that I've prepared for. This is against everything that I thought I'd be doing in life. This is against everything I thought I'd be. But God is pushing me to a place where I don't understand it. But I know that no matter what I give up, God will take care of me. See, kingdom thinking. See, kingdom thinking. Let's go of things it lets go of things and it's willing to say i'll put my isaac on the altar help me today 
In other words, the kingdom is always connected to what you love the most. Good or bad. But mostly good things. Because God likes to challenge you with good things that you like so that you can understand in reality that he gave it to you. So when we look at this reality as God calls us to this idea of we have the kingdom in common, that means us being, having the kingdom in common means we encourage one another to be selfless. We need people in our life, family of God, that encourages us to be selfless. Not only that, being willing to lose something. You got to be willing to lose. And not only that, things that might not have your name on it, you might have to invest in. <laughs> I'm, I ain't going to explain that one. Investing in stuff that might not build my thing. Let me explain something to you. The church is not Eric Mason's thing, Epiphany Fellowship. So when you invest in it, you're not giving to my vision. If you, if, if you, if you believe that way, you, you don't even understand the kingdom. Because this, I don't rule Epiphany Fellowship. This is God's church. And when you invest time, talent, treasure into the church, you're investing into the kingdom, not Eric Mason. But if you see it as direct investment, see, without, see, the problem with church hurt is many churches are built around pastoral investment. So some of you are going to have to heal from false doctrines and dispositions of unhealthy churches that have built itself around investing and sowing into the pastor and the pastor's wife and the first family, wherever that is in the Bible. How is the pastor's family separate from the church family? Ain't nobody going to talk back. See, when you talk kingdom, it, it's like, what are we talking about here? Because the kingdom is a rubric that you utilize as a mechanism to strain out mess. I got so much. I got like 20 pages. I'm not going to get through this. Uh, I'm going to get these other two. Finding my greatest self in him. Finding your greatest self. You know what makes me feel uncomfortable? I don't, this terminology that people use of my truth. You know, tell your truth. You know, I was watching something with this counselor, this popular counselor online. You know, I watched a little sniffers. Tell your truth, you know. And I was like, I didn't know the truth. Hold on, no, oh, that's what you mean. In other words, What's truth to you and may not be truth for everybody else? Do it no matter what. Now let's 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 chop that up a little bit. Now, truth is truth whether it agrees with what you believe or not. Truth is universal, not individual. So now, truth, see, we like our truth because we can, we can create our own philosophical, emotional, and psychological reality. Yeah, right. But in real reality, 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that means that Jesus, a truth is a person, not information. And so since truth is a person and not information, our truth should reflect the truth, who is Jesus Christ. Uh, I got more on that. I got to go to the next point. I, I'm going to this last point. I got too much. Last thing. Last thing. Lord, help me. Last thing. If, why I love being a Christian, last but not least, because Jesus Christ covers all of our bases. <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> covers all of our bases. I like this next section. Now, let me prepare you for this next section. This section was not written to prove to black people that Jesus was black. That has actually skin color demeans the exegetical value of what the text is actually saying about Jesus. Now, I'm not affirming we know he wasn't white. But we're not beating up on that and we're not beating up on this. All I'm saying is this has nothing to do with the literal skin color of Jesus. So let's just start with that. So for those of us who only are Christians because we believe Jesus is black, have faith in the cross, not his color. That's all I'm going to say. I know Christianity has been whitewashed, but we don't reverse wash. The only reason I'm a Christian because he's black. You understand what I'm saying? I just thought I'd say that real quick. Help me today. I, whatever color he was, his blood was red, so I'm good. I'm good. Verse 10. It says, I was in the spirit the Lord's day. And I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet. Lord, have mercy. Saying, now he's still got his back turned. He's still got his back turned. Somebody starts talking to him. And he hasn't turned around yet. I, I feel you on that, John. <laughs> now notice that John is naturally blind, but when he goes into his vision, he can see. Verse 11 says, write on the scroll what you have seen, what you see, and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergama, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Then turn to see whose voice, then I turn to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one who was like the son of man. <laughs> so you got to imagine this scene. Can you imagine a voice coming behind you like a trumpet? I don't know if you've ever st stood near a trumpet and it's blown on you. That's pretty loud. But he turns around and he sees seven golden lampstands. It's the, the, the Hanukkah looking stand that you're normally talking about that people use for Hanukkah. But it's seven stands and they're all lit. And standing in between them is, 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 is one that looks like a man. Oh, I love this part. 
And he's, and he's standing there and the seven lampstands is like beside him and he's standing posted up in the midst of it. I like this. The Bible says dressed in a robe. So he had on a linen robe. You'll see later in Revelation 19 he does. Then he has a golden sash. So this is not like the Miss America sash. This is the priestly sash. That the Aaronic priesthood had a sash, but it wasn't golden. What's let you know is that this is a different type of priest. He's after the order of Melchizedek, which is an eternal priesthood. And he's standing there in his might and glory with linen on. And the Bible says that he's standing there with a golden bulletproof vest on. And it wrapped his chest. The Bible says in verse 14, and his hair was like, was wool, his, it said the hair of his head was white as wool, not wool. That's another way we try to make Jesus black. Because it's wool, that means peasy hair, African hair, boom. It said, it talked about its color, not its texture. Read the Bible, people. It was white as snow, and his eyes were like fiery flames. The, the idea of his hair being white as wool talks about his dignity and wisdom. If you know in antiquity, if you know in antiquity about gray hair, gray hair means you're wise. White hair means you're, white, you're wise on steroids. So. In the book of Daniel, the one who looks like a son of man, the Bible calls the ancient of days. So his hair is actually to show that his wisdom is eternal. In other words, just by looking at his head, John knows he should listen to him. Just because his head was representative of someone that was wiser than anyone you could ever know. And his eyes were like a flame. Eyes point to what you look at. Fiery point to the idea of the ability to see through anything and to judge it based on what you actually see because the flame tests everything. That means Jesus is wise, but he can see through anything and he can see through anything and he can test it with the fire to let you know if it's real or if it's fake, if it's truth or if it's false. That's why I love being a Christian is because Christ is wiser than anybody that I've ever met and he can see through me. I got to stop this. Verse 15, his feet were again like Check the technique. Like, not is. Like burnished bronze, not burnt brass. Meaning burnt as in blackened. Who, you don't burn a metal and come up with black color. I'm just trying to help somebody. Bronze is orangish, goldish, brownie thingy. As in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of cascading waters. So he turns around, he sees white hair, flaming eyes, a linen outfit, golden bulletproof vest, and feet. Jesus was barefooted.
sandal man right there. <laughs> Burnished bronze showing, and the reason why it talks about bronze that's burnt is because it talks about Christ's purity. And why is it at his feet? Because he walks in nothing but purity. Because he's pure and he didn't need to be refined, he was already refined. Even though he was perfected by the things that he suffered. These are all, now this is not talking about literal Jesus, it's talking about symbolism that points to the attributes of Jesus. So Jesus telling me to walk right comes from him already having done it. And that comes from the reality of him telling you to walk right because he empowers you to walk right. Uh, I, I gotta go, I gotta go. Um, it says, in his hand, I love this. In his hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was shining like the sun. I love this, these eight characteristics. Because this idea of the seven stars being in his hand and the seven stars being the angels and the seven lampstands being the seven churches points to the fact that no matter what happens in the universe or in the churches, he has it in his hand. Now, it's giving you a euphemism to let you know how massive Jesus is. Even though he is a man, he's God. So in his essence, he's massive enough to hold everything in the universe in his glorious hands. But not only that, it also says out of his mouth came a two-edged sword. In other words, judging and cutting things. But then also his face was like, was like the sun shining at full strength. Several things here and I'm done. Jesus being shining like the sun points to the fact that God shines everything. But not only that, his voice being like cascading waters points back to Mount Sinai when people told him to stop, God to stop talking to them. In other words, the beauty of being a believer for me is because Jesus covers all of these bases in our life. How does he close, cover all the bases in our life? He's pure. <laughs> he sees through my stuff. He's wise, but he's also a priest. So he's beastly enough to judge me but he's priestly enough to care for me. And the beauty of that reality of being a Christian is we get to deal with our mess without judgment. Now for those who see Jesus later on, those things represent different things to them, which that's why when he came back, they ran in fear. They ran in fear because of the challenge and glory of the might of the one who came, came first time as a lamb, but now he's coming as a lion who's roaring with force. And so I love being a Christian because I have a king of kings and a lord of lords that was willing enough to bide his time for the glory of this great exaltation. I'm glad to be a Christian because, because he was willing to get rid of and lay aside the privileges of his deity for 33 years in order to take on an additional nature for me. I love being a Christian because he was willing to spend 30 years of his life preparing for three years of his life that would have an eternal impact on all of our lives. I love being a Christian because he lived a life that I could never live. He died the death that I could never die and he got up from the grave that I could never get up from so that if I believed in him and I put my confidence in him, I go from spiritual death to spiritual life 
and I go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity and I go from spiritual time to spiritual eternity and I'm so glad that Christ has died for us and he lived for us and he's coming back again with all power in his hands. You and I, you and I have a sure faith. And this sure faith and what Christ has done should be an encouragement to you to say, this is why I love being a Christian. Father, we thank you, we bless you, we honor you for our Lord in Christ. Lord Jesus, will you remind us of the bigness of yourself and how even each one of these characteristics, <clears throat> you use different one of these characteristics on the church in different seasons of our life to strengthen us, to encourage us, to rebuke us, and to sanctify us. Lord God, will you strengthen us as a church to understand your role among us and what our seasons as a church should look like, those of us who know you. Maybe you're here and you've never placed your confidence in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never had faith in what Christ has done for you. Well, Christ at this time is ruling and reigning. comes back there won't be any more saving not for a person that doesn't know him for those who are believers the last stage of their salvation will be complete that last stage is saving us from the presence of sin but you if you don't know Jesus have to be saved first from the presence and power of sin Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. We would love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you want to place your confidence in what Christ has done for you, to save you from the power and penalty of sin, hold your hand in the air. We'd like to talk to you about how Christ saves you from the wrath of God, God's anger towards your sin, the penalty of sin, death, separation from God. Anyone today said, I want to place my confidence in him, him and him alone for salvation. Salvation meaning saving you from himself so that you can go from being illegitimate to legitimately his child. Anyone today wants to say yes to Jesus Christ. I see that hand. I see that hand to my left. Yes, we love to talk to you about Jesus. Anyone else want to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ? Man, the best decision you can make, brother, is to place your confidence in Jesus. We're going to pray for you and our team. We're going to take you back. We're going to talk
talk to you a little bit more about what it means to put your confidence in him. Congratulations on your professional faith, Father. Father, I pray. Oh, come on, brother. Come on, brother. Still time. Still time. Amen. 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 God and Father, we thank you. We thank you for these men making a profession of their faith, saying today I want to say yes to Jesus Christ. God, I pray for them, that you would be their strength and that you'd be their life, take them from spiritual darkness like you did us all. Bring, us to the, bring them into the spirit of the, the kingdom of your marvelous son, to know you, to live for you, and to serve you. God, we honor you and thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen, 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 amen. Let's pick up God, y'all. Let's pick up God, y'all. Amen, amen, amen. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Let's pick up God for his work. Amen. Well, let, let our men, let our men come and let's celebrate the Lord's death. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give, and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.